you're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. 1995. It's the year that Toy Story was the first animated, completely computer animated movie. 1995 is when George Foreman was known more for boxing and less for grilling. 1995 is when Michael Jordan hung up his baseball cleats and got back into the sport of basketball. But 1995 is important because in many prognosticators, those of social science, they believe that is when Gen Z first came on the scene. Generation Z is the generation right behind the famed millennials. They are numbering 68 million, 68 million Americans, 24% of America is Gen Z, born between the years of 1995 and 2010, and that gives three or four years each way. Again, 24% of the American population as present. When you think about Generation Z, the next generation, you think of several things. A smartphone is just like a third arm. One person has called them not teenagers, but screen-agers. Their phone is their wallet. They average every week about one day, one full day on a mobile device. 70% of their communication is something akin to digital, like texting. 90% of them are on social media. Sadly, they've seen more pornography than any generation before them because there's more pornography today than there's ever been. Think about that. This generation will have seen more pornography than any generation. When asked, they describe themselves as compassionate as a, as a generation. They define right and wrong by these terms, does it hurt someone? That's their division of right versus wrong. And four of every ten Gen Z, next generation, four of every ten will be in a worship service weekly. I have three of these in my house. And they can be delightful, and they can be other than delightful at times. But I bring up this generation because I want to call our church's collective, our church's collective attention to this generation. And I want us to pray for them, and I want us to encourage them. We're going to spend three weeks on a prayer embedded in Ephesians 3, and I want us to take this prayer and bring it forward and apply it to one of these next generation elementary school or teenagers. I'm calling on us to encourage them. Anybody can be an old codger, get off my lawn type. Anybody can do that. I've got that in me, you've got that in you. But I'm calling us to encourage them and to specifically pray for them. Pray for them by name, pick one out. You may have a child, you may have a grandchild. If you don't have someone by name, about 330 different elementary school and teenagers were in the life of our church in the month of May. 330 different ones. And you could pray for one of them. Now, don't be creepy. You know, don't be creepy because we parents were sort of helicopter parents. We read a lot of news, so, you know, but don't be asking too many questions about our kids. But come alongside one of those adults or come alongside a Bible study teacher. 
come alongside our student pastors, Daniel and Dave and Cross Church Chris, and say, I want to find someone to pray for and encourage them. Find a way to encourage them. Again, 135 teenagers walked into one of our worship services in the month of May. 200 different children in elementary school age and preschool. Pray for them one by name. George Orwell said the following, every generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that went before it. Every generation. And every generation is wiser than the one that comes after it. What we don't need is we didn't do it this way. We know we didn't do it this way. For better or for worse, we get that. But what they need is a voice. You may be surprised to know that the number one influencer for teenagers and children today is not digital, it's a parent or guardian. They rank from themselves, their number one influencer is mom and dad. And probably what's wrong with them sometimes is at mom and dad, and I'm one of those dads. But let's, let's focus like a laser over the next three weeks. Would you do that? Would you adopt one of them and begin to pray for one of them as believers? Because in Ephesians 3 is one of the most beautiful, moving prayers in all the Bible. You may know the model prayer, our Father who art in heaven. You may know some other prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But until you know the prayer that's embedded in Ephesians 3, it just feels like it just takes you right to the staircase, the escalator, the very throne of God. And you'll know it's a prayer because there in verse 14, he says, for this reason I bow my knees. And you'll know it's a prayer because verse 11 and 12, he speaks of confidence and access and boldness that comes through Jesus Christ. By the way, let me say something that may not be politically correct, but in the New Testament, you do not get access to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. It's just a one, it's just a one way. It's not about Rushmore of prophets. It's only through Jesus Christ. So if you have Jesus, this is a prayer for you. And if you don't have Jesus, we'd love to introduce him to you today. Not as a historical figure, but someone that comes into a life and changes it. So it's a prayer in verse 14 that's embedded there. And Paul breaks out in prayer. And I want you to see, beginning in verse 16, this beautiful piece now, he says that according, he's praying, he's praying now, he says that according to the riches of his glory. So he's speaking about the beautiful prayer, a prayer for power, he says, according to the riches of his glory, I wonder, wonder how many riches he has. I wonder if he borrowed from anybody riches any time. I, I wonder if God the Father ever called anybody else up and said, hey, can I get a cup of milk from you? Can I get a, a couple trillion dollars? No, that's never happened. According to his riches and glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, the Holy Spirit in your inner being. Now, immediately, I want you to see something, and I want you to see what's not here. When you think about a beautiful prayer, if I were to commission to write a beautiful prayer, I'd probably get away to a remote place. I'd get out of the concrete. I'd get out of this city. I'd get out, sort of quiet my soul, look at a lake, look at a field someplace. This prayer was written from a prison, and not a modern prison overpopulated, filth, right there with Paul. He writes it in the middle of a prison. I, I tell you something that's powerful here, what you don't see. Not one time does he ask,
would you pray for mercy from the guards? Not one time does he ask, would you, would you send one of those angels that Peter got that freed him from prison? I don't know what wows you. I don't know what shocks you. That shocks me. That's a miracle like walking on water. To write six chapters of a book. I mean, if I wrote you six chapters, if I were in prison, not because I did a felony, but just because I was doing Jesus' thing, first thing I'd do is, hey, Tracy, that's my wife, would you contact the senators we know, the congressmen we know? Would you get somebody down here? Would you get some rednecks and some pickup trucks that are, you know, NRA stickers? Let's get me out of here. Not Paul. He doesn't ask that. Instead, he begins his prayer, and he's praying for the spiritual. Now, I want you to note that. He's not praying for the physical. He's praying for the spiritual. That's the reverse of what we do. If we're going to pray for the next generation, oftentimes we pray for the physical. And Dr. Adrian Rogers, a great pastor of uh, yesteryear in Memphis, he said, most prayer, most prayer meetings in the church is an organ recital. Lord, would you heal my heart? Would you heal my lungs? Would you heal my liver? We do a reverse thing. We start with the physical, but Paul starts with the spiritual. Why? Because this ought to be written down someplace. Heaven rules earth. The spiritual runs the physical. We're not run from 1600 Pennsylvania, nor are we run from the rotunda of Austin, and we're not run by the mayor or the school board president. We're run from on high. He picks up pieces and drops them at his will. And if we're going to pray, we're to pray for the spiritual. So if you're going to pray for the next generation, pray for their spiritual progress, pray for spiritual breakthrough, pray for spiritual health. And I love this, verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. I bow my knees before the Father. And then he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So he prays. He's bowing his knees. May I ask you just sort of a, a personal question for just a moment? When's the last time you got on your knees to pray? Oh, pastor, you don't know what it's like. My knees are bad. Okay. All right. I get it. You know what my coach said about excuses? Excuses never made a basket. Excuses never made a touchdown. You can get on your knees. You probably would if you've got grandchildren. Get on your knees. Don't make excuses. He says, I bow on my knees. And he begins to pray. And he prays for power, spiritual power. Now, why does he do that? Well, I think one of the reasons, if you move your eyes from verse 14 and 15 up to verse 13, he says that you may not lose heart. Let me ask you, is it easy for you and I to lose heart? About six minutes of television news, I lose heart. Yeah. About ten minutes of hearing a family's problems, I lose heart. And where do you go to for that? Well, you don't go to a friend. You don't go to alcohol. You don't even go to YouTube for an inspiration. You go to your knees. That's why he says we pray. We pray for spiritual breakthrough and power that we would understand that heaven rules earth. Because the power here is real and it's considerable. We'll see that in a moment. But this power is for a power that we need. In fact, much of what Paul's doing here, this prison letter, is to join together the races. He wants to see that the races are one. The races in his day were Jew and Gentile. And you say, what's a Gentile? I know what a Jew is, what's a Gentile? Well, there's Caucasian Gentiles like me, and there's Hispanic Gentiles and black Gentiles, and there's Asian Gentiles. Most of us 
almost all of us are Gentiles in the room. And he says, don't think of yourself as either Jew or Caucasian or Hispanic. Think of yourself as a third race in Christ. Because if you're a child of God, that's what matters. And the power of God can unite us. It's only the power of God that can unite us. Only the cross of Jesus can unite us. So there's this power at our disposal. It's sin-killing power. It's sin-stopping power. It's chain-breaking power. So that he says in verse 16, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, teenager, he may grant you, elementary-age student, that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in his inner being. I know my days as a youth pastor, I felt one of the greatest hindrances to Christianity's progress in students was their parents. I'll just let that sit there for a second, make sure you got that. What I said was I was a youth pastor. One of the greatest hindrances to the Christianity of the teenager was the parent. This power can come to a teenager. But he's asking for something that we already have. Isn't that kind of odd? Imagine if you and I were at a table setting. Maybe my wife has gotten out one of our many sets of fine china. We've got them from every person in five different counties and seven different generations, and we need them all. And she's got them set out there, and it's beautiful. And um, I look to you, and I say, could you pass me a knife? And you look down at my setting, and I've already got a knife. Why am I asking for something I already have? See, Paul is asking, in verse 16, for the Spirit's presence. But by definition, if you are a believer, you already have the Spirit. He would say in Romans, he would say again in Galatians, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus. And if you have the Spirit, you have Jesus. So why is he asking for the Spirit when he already has the Spirit? Well, it's a story about a woman some years ago that was way out in the middle of nowhere, way out in the middle of nowhere. It's about the time that electricity was first introduced. And so they brought electricity to her remote house, very poor, very remote, lady living alone. So they get her all hooked up. It's going to be great. She's going to have electricity. Then the people at the electrical power plant, the people in the company said, you know, they could tell by the measure she's not using much electricity. So they went back out with a sense of representative and said, ma'am, you're not using electricity. She said, oh, I am using electricity. I am using it. Well, ma'am, could you tell us what you're using electricity for? Could you give us Oh, she said, when it gets dark, this is what I do. When it gets dark, about that time, I turn the lights on so I can find the kerosene light. And then I light the kerosene, and I go over there and turn the the electricity back off. And that's silly, isn't it? That's a generation of people that don't understand electricity. But the applications to us who are believers who have the power of God. You know, we've got more training, we've got more information, we've got more Bibles, we've got more organizations, churches, but we have so little of the power of the Spirit of God. We're like people who've inherited hundreds of millions of dollars in economic wealth, but we're living on food stamps. We're not utilizing the power. Paul prays, Paul prays for something we already have because he wants to progress us. He wants to level us up. For many years I've thought as a pastor that for most Christians I've pastored, they thought that the baptism was the zenith of spiritual progress and they just ease off the pedal for the rest of life. There's more to it than that, friend. And we need more of the power of God and it's right here in front of us. Look how many times he mentions power. Verse 16, again, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through, his inner, through the Spirit in an inner being. And then verse 19, that you may be filled, again, with the power of God, with all the fullness of God. In verse 20, 
that God is able to do more, far more abundantly than you ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. So Paul's just layering up one layer after another power. For a generation remembers the Dagwood sandwich. It's just layer after layer of power after power. The power comes by the Holy Spirit, verse 16. It's in accordance with the glory of God. In other words, you can have as much power as there is glory, and there is no limitation. There's no going out of business sale on God. He's got plenty of glory. You can have plenty of power, and it's the very fullness of God. And then, as if that's not enough, Paul comes along and says, God can empower you more than you ask or think, so that you'd have spiritual health and spiritual progress, spiritual stamina. You know, if you gave me the fingers of Mozart, there's not a song I couldn't play. If you gave me the arms of baseball player Mike Trout, there's not a home run I couldn't hit. If you gave me the legs of Michael Jordan, there's not a shot or a dunk I couldn't make. And if you gave me the mind of Einstein, there's not a mathematical equation that I cannot figure out. And the Bible's saying here that we don't have any of that, but we have instead the power of God at disposal. So if you've got any problems in life, you've got any problems with the next generation, any rebellious children, oh, please don't write them off. The guy, the guy who writes this, the guy who's in prison, prior to doing his thing as an apostle, he was the number one instigator. He was the number one opponent of the church of Jesus Christ. He went around. He went around arresting Christians, killing Christians. If I'd have been at the first church of Jerusalem back in the day, and the deacons and the elders would have came in and said, hey, Scott, we want to strategize on how to win this Paul guy to faith in Christ, I would have said, don't bother. <laughs> write that dude off. Don't write anybody off. Don't write anybody off. This is the power of God we're talking about here. So verse 13 and 14, he says, I ask that you not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory, for this reason. Verse 14, I bow my knees. So when you and I are discouraged, when you and I are discouraged, we are to bow. We're to go to our knees and we're to pray. And the Bible calls upon us as believers to intercede for others to intercede. If I'm to intercede for you in prayer, I'm to pray for you by name, and I'm to intercede for you. And again, I'm asking us to adopt one of the next generation to pray for, to intercede for them, to ask that the Lord would make his power at their disposal if they're a believer, and if they're not a believer, to pray them into the kingdom of God. And look at this, it's so, it's so important, it's so powerful here. When we're interceding for others, I want to encourage you Maybe you're like me when somebody says, hey, let's run a mile. It doesn't, that doesn't do much for me. I, I don't like that, right? But if I'm going to race you, if somebody says I get a head start, I say, well, I like that. I like a head start. And you've got a head start when you're praying for others. Did you know that Jesus is in heaven praying for you right now? Hebrews chapter 7, the Bible says here in verse 25, the back end of it, that he always lives to make intercession for them. He's able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save to the most, those who draw near to God, since he's always making intercession. Can you picture that right now? Your next generation student, your next generation grandchild, this young mom that's pregnant, perhaps in this room, that Jesus already knows that baby's name and is praying. He's praying in heaven right now. Isn't that encouraging? 
I don't know what you're going up against, but you got Jesus praying for you. That's big stuff. But it gets bigger than that. The Bible says beyond just Jesus praying for you, you got the Spirit of God praying for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray or what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes. That's the Holy Spirit. That's why it's the capital S there. So look at this. Jesus is praying and interceding, and the Spirit's interceding for the next generation. He's calling believers out by name, and he's praying for them. Now listen carefully. This next generation, 1995 to 2010, in a Barna survey, when they were asked, what's, what's number one on your generation's hit list? What's the thing you want the most? And they named professional success. Professional success, financial security. That the ultimate goal of life was to, quote, be happy, end quote. And they defined happiness as financial success. When I read that, my heart hurt for that, but I thought to myself, where did they get that from? Dad's like me. I'm the number one influencer in their life. That's what they're saying. And they're just picking up of what's on the airwaves, what's in the air. Get education so you can get money because money means happiness, American dream. So what if you're praying that? Lord, give me more money. We're smarter than that. We know how to camouflage it. But what if the Spirit of God's praying like this? The Spirit's praying for Emma or Noah. Lord, I know you're hearing from Emma, and I know you're hearing from Noah, and I know what they're praying is wrong, but I pray you don't answer their prayer. I pray you say no to their prayer and give them what they need. Give them what they need story of two lumberjacks who went into a, a forest. They were going to clear the forest, take the trees all out. Two lumberjacks approach one tree in particular and see a nest of birds up there. They're just making their nest. So instead of chopping it down, they turned the axe over backwards, and they just swing at it and just shook the entire tree all the way to the top. It took several swings of the backside of that axe for the little birds to figure out, this is not the tree we want to make our nest in. The only problem is they go to the next tree, which is soon to be felled. And so these two loggers have to take the back end of their axe and shake that tree, and it just goes on sort of in an infinite progression till they figure out this is not the forest you need to make your nest in. Could it be that God and the Spirit and Jesus are doing that with you today? That you think that you've got to make your nest of happiness and money here on earth, and he's shaking the tree And you're angry at him because he's not saying yes to your prayers. But if he said yes to your prayers, he would give you something that is less than the best. God is not stupid. He may be able to speak to me on the fourth grade level, but he's not going to reduce his infinite mind and his complete power over all things so that it would be what I think it should be. When we get to heaven in the word of Garth Brooks, we're going to be thanking him for what? Yeah, well, y'all know Garth Brooks. Don't act like you don't know Garth Brooks. You know Garth Brooks better than you know Paul. And so, this is how this would look like if you could just begin to pray this. 
So dads, would you pray this over your daughters? And mom, would you pray this over your sons? And students, would you pray this over your teammates and your classmates and those in band with you? And this is how it could be done. I looked at the Social Security Administration. They said the number one, the number one most popular name for this generation is the name Emma. So listen to how you could take Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 and pray for a young lady named Emma. For this reason, I bow on my knees before the father from whom Emma is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant Emma to be strengthened with power through his spirit in Emma's inner being. So that Christ may dwell in Emma's heart through faith, that Emma being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that Emma may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power that's at work with Emma. Does that shock anybody? That that power can be fit in there? And it's like putting a Hemi engine that belongs in a truck inside a little smart car. Woo! Emma's got this as she's a believer. Look at this. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In one sense, it's a plug and play. But in another sense, when you're coming up against the satanic warfare of Ephesians 6 that we looked at this past November, I mean, we got to go to task. I'm a Reagan kid. I grew up in the Reagans with the Cosby generation. We respected him, and we thought that he was everybody's father. I drove for miles on my bike. Nobody was going to bother me out in the country. These kids are growing up when everything is up in the air. We can't even decide if gender is binary. We need to go to the Lord in prayer for this generation. Again, 330 walked in our doors in the month of May. What would happen if you adopted one of these young men and young women? to pray for spiritual breakthrough. What if God got all over them and they were a carpenter for the next 40 years, but they were dedicated and faithful to Christ and sharing the gospel? What if they were a plumber? What if they were a mother and they were purposeful, intentional about following Christ? This is the generation who will be next generation's deacons and pastors and missionaries. Some point we're gonna turn the keys over to this generation some point, my three are going to get whatever I earned if I don't spend it all between now and then. You know, the purpose here, we, we've got to pray. We've got to pray for a spiritual hungering for them, that they've got to want this. So my kids don't want it. My grandkids don't want it. Then pray that they want it. We're not just talking about ideas. We're not just selling siding here. We're not just going down and saying, would you like bell bottoms from the 1970s called Christianity? And they said, no, thank you. I don't want wide ties. This isn't just communication and persuasion. This is a spiritual thing. This is the kingdom of God, and we're to pray. And one of the greatest compliments, moms and dads, that can happen in your house is when they engage with you on Christian doctrine. One mother said in particular, quote, I consider a particularly positive sign when my teenage sons raise theological disagreement with me. It means they're thinking deeply and critically about Christian doctrine. These are the conversations you need to be having in your home. And again, I'm raising three of these, and they don't need another sermon from on high. They've heard plenty of those 
they were here, they would give an amen to that. But I might say, you know, everything in this world tells you that mankind is good and we're neutral. But we pick up this Bible that's said to be from God and it says man is sinful. What do you make of that? Just get after a conversation there. Your science textbooks at school say that things came from nothing. Nothing made nothing. And here we are. Does that make sense to you? Maybe science is teaching faith in schools that goes by the name of science. What if you had that conversation? What if you got to think deeply with them? We've got to pray for power. And then here lastly at the end of this, the Bible calls upon us there in verse 16 to pray for their inner being. Again, one more time, we're to pray and they're to have the, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and his inner being. So what if this week, this month, this year, rather than praying that your neighborhood may not have COVID, and I would pray that, Lord, keep them safe, but what if you would pray, you know, my neighbor's, my neighbor's grandson is not as strong spiritually as he ought to be, and I don't believe that my granddaughter or my daughter is up to snuff spiritually. God, strengthen them and strengthen me in the inner man. Give me that power that you talked about in Ephesians 3. Yes, you can pray, Lord, protect them, but the problem is most of our parents' prayers stop there, protect them. We need to be praying for spiritual health and spiritual breakthrough in the inner man. And then in verse 17, the word says, we're to pray so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Go ahead and just circle that word dwell in verse 17. Let me give you a great powerful pointer in prayer as I'm just nearing conclusion. Make his home in. Make his home in. That Christ would make his home in my heart and your heart. That is, God would not be a tenant, he would not be a renter, and he would not lease a room, but he would have home ownership. If you were to come into my house, I'd probably say to you, make yourself at home. Mi casa, su casa, that whole thing. And then if you started from like the living area, the dining room, and you made your way into the bedroom, rifling through my filing cabinet, I'd say, you've misunderstood me, you've taken my words literally. I need you back out of my bedroom back in the living room, the dining room, because we've shut this door back here because it's a mess. I don't want you back here. Isn't that what we do with God? God, I've got this Sunday morning room for you. I've got this Bible fellowship room, and I just need you to stay right there. I don't need you in my library because I've got some uh, trash in there that I'm reading. I don't want you meddling with that. I don't need you in my bedroom. I've got stuff going on over there that I don't need your, you know, your little sticky fingers, your, 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 your rules that are ancient. I don't need you in my bedroom. I don't need you in my kitchen. I got some substances there that I'm dealing with that I don't need you meddling in that. Verse 17, that Christ would make his home in their heart. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. I had a vision back when uh, the youngest was born that there'd be a day when they and I would sort of tag team and share the gospel together. I thought, if we could be in personal evangelism together, just draw that line in the sand. If that could be our goal, that'd be a touchdown. That'd be a spike the football. My goal in raising my next three, I don't, I don't care what they do for a living, as long as they're out of my house, <laughs> off my payroll, and in a Bible teaching church someplace, 
putting the shoulder to the grindstone to help it make it go. Do you believe in prayer? The Red Sea was parted by prayer. King Sennacherib's army was defeated by prayer. Elijah called down heaven from heaven fire by prayer. People walked on water, blind were made to see, and the lame were made to walk. Great things happen when we pray. Things change when we pray because the God of heaven wants to reorder this universe as it is in heaven. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.